Present day. <laughs> Present time. <laughs> Hello, dear listeners of the Pen Pen Pals Pod. This is Blixa, your transfem counselor and life coach to offer a content warning. In today's coverage of Serial Experiments Lane, we discuss the explicitly depicted suicide and the implicit events that occur later in the first episode. If this type of discussion is upsetting or triggering, please join us next week where I might be delivering a content warning of a different nature. Thanks for listening. And you don't seem to okay, so you're saying you watched very ahead. Is that right, Blixa? I did. Um, I only intended to watch the first episode. And it hooked me. I think I watched Ooh. eight episodes. <laughs> Ooh, okay. I didn't think it was going to be that compelling. I just sat there in a pile of laundry watching Serial Experiments Lane. They're so short that it is like a very like bingeable, like it's almost like one episode isn't quite satisfying. Like almost mm. the shortness, I think is like part of the thing that makes you want to watch the next one. Mm-hmm. We'll see uh, how you feel after watching it. Because you haven't watched it, right, Alex? You're I haven't watched it at all. I am on a strict diet. <laughs> so right now, tonight, our watch party, this will be the first time you sing Serial Experiments Lane. Absolutely. I've heard about this uh, series for two decades. I've heard really good stuff. Uh, the best pitch I ever got for it was, it's kind of like Neon Genesis, but without any mechs. I was like, oh, that still sounds great. So I am very, very excited. It's been a long time anticipating. Well, should, should we just like jump to the show and yeah absolutely okay Whoa, so... y'all are too excited hold on like aren't, <laughs> I, I know it's been a while since we've done this but like aren't we supposed to do like a little warm-up for the audience sure yeah let's do that's, it that's, that's okay. what we've been doing <laughs> in case i want to put it in there welcome everyone to pen pen pals uh as always i'm one of your hosts alex this is blixa this is Ben. Okay, you're right. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> I forgot about that part. And we are starting a new coverage in this episode. We are going to watch the pinnacle late 90s anime, uh, Serial Experiments Lane. I don't know what it's about, but I assume uh, uh, there's technological anxiety. Yeah. Ben, what is Serial Experiments Lane? Uh, it's an anime. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fucking bitch. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I think we like, I kind of want Alex to oh, go that's in. Right, that's no right. poor knowledge. That's fair. I don't know uh, if either of you did any research uh, beforehand. I tried not to do much because I didn't want to come across anything. But I did take a look at just the writer, whoever's listed as the head writer for the 13 mm-hmm. episodes. And that's Chiaki Konaka. I don't, sorry if I'm butchering the, your name. But they did have some interesting stuff under their belt. They were looked like the lead writer for Big O, uh, the Bubblegum Crisis adaptation or, or revitalization, uh, uh, Tokyo 2040, um, and even some long episode uh, arcs of uh, Ultraman Taiga, Gaia, and Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the the little bit I did a while back, I'm looking up now. Their producer and the creator of the original concept um, is this guy Ueda Yasuyuki. Um, and I saw he also did um, Technolize and Ergo Proxy. Mm. I've never watched them, but I kind of see them show up in lists of sort of like trippy kind of cyberpunk stuff. Oh, yeah. So Big cult followings. Yeah, Ergo Proxy has been recommended several times on this show. Um, I have not heard of Technolize. Um, that's one of those shows that's recommended as a follow-up to Evangelion. Interesting. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we have a lot to look at and think about. Okay. 
Is there anything we want to do or talk about before we go into watching it? Because like Ben, I am chomping at the bit to see what everybody thinks of this. And we can't really talk about it until I watch it. I, I think my anime news is actually kind of old now. So that's okay. It's always old when it comes out. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> like over the summer, a lot of great stuff happened. Okay. Lixa recommends uh, the latest season of Overlord, season four. And um, the latest season of Don Machi, also season four. Uh, really excellent new installments of those series. Okay, cool. You, you've been watching any shows, Alex, anime or otherwise? Gosh, I've been watching a lot of horror movies. Is there anything we... Oh, just did a rewatch of The Mighty Boosh. Fucking what? solid. Mm. couple episodes might want to skip now because... Didn't age well. well. Some of the face paint is not, mm. you know, great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, still a, a very funny show. Do we all have it queued up? I do. Okay. Who's going to count right. us off? Ben will do it. Three, two, one, play. We watched it. We did watch it. First reaction, love the backgrounds. Love this speckled, like, you know, terrible paint uh, aesthetic. Uh-huh. Like, first it started with the blood, right? Uh-huh. Um, and it was even like, uh, hey, if you're paying attention, something bad is going to happen. As far as vibes go, I'm thoroughly impressed. I'm invested. I'm all in. But uh, it is a little, like you said uh, before we started watching, it is a little sparse, right? There's a lot of tone setting and interesting imagery. So, like, the plot or the discussions, they haven't moved very far yet. Yeah. But it is... I think respecting the audience a lot, being like, hey, her, Lane's family is distant. And they don't like tell you, oh, that's Lane, her family is distant. Instead, they just show you this dinner scene and you're, and then you meet the dad and you're like, oh, where the fuck was he during dinner? <laughs> he was setting up this fucking computer? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, was that one of our complaints about like Evangelion that they would like show us a thing and then they would just say it in the dialogue too, like <laughs> as if like we hadn't just watched the scene? Yeah. For me, I think it does definitely still hold up. I think like the sound design is like super on point, like just like mm-hmm. the music and also just like all the sound effects. It's like they really pay attention to a lot of the details and, you know, the the cinematography or whatever you call it in animation, like how they like frame the shots. Mm-hmm. I think they like pick really interesting little things to to focus on. I think the sum of all of those things is you just end up with this kind of like weird vibe where even at the parts where like the story is moving sort of slowly, I just sort of like like inhabiting that that world. Um, yeah, Blixa, any thoughts before we kind of start in kind of walking through it? I, I definitely like the um, the paranormal atmosphere of this episode. Yeah, I guess I, I really want to jump in and comment on a lot of the details that I saw. So uh, maybe we should just jump right in. So we get this girl on a rooftop. And I think even before we see her on the rooftop, we see her on the street and she's sort of mm. like crying and sweat like she's in a lot of distress and mm. and there's some not very sympathetic people that are sort of like pointing and laughing at her or something but like you know we're not sure what happened to put her in that place i guess mm-hmm. um and then like wow. you're saying then she's up on the roof and now she's smiling happy but in a sort of creepy way 
Yeah. And then, okay. And then there's like down on the street, there's a couple of kind of, you know, nighttime scenes happening. There's a businessman with a, looks like a younger woman. And you read that it's a Gyaru girl. Can you explain that to me? What is that? I don't know that much about it. It was like a subculture, I think from like 90s, 2000s, maybe. And people would like tan their skin very dark often are wearing like lipstick that's like a lighter color like a light pink or something like that which you see that in this Mm. kind of a sun-drenched look yeah and i don't know if it's just like sort of uh just a fashion thing or if there's sort of like a whole lifestyle and subculture that goes around with it but i think it is definitely almost like punk thing of rejecting this sort of normal beauty standards and kind of doing this very elaborate thing yeah, and, and it's sort of interesting. So we we don't start, I mean, it's Serial Experiments Lane, so we know Lane is going to be the main character, but we don't start with Lane, Mm-mm. you know, and I'm not sure when we find out that then the kind of second girl we see um, is Lane, but we go from this chaotic nighttime scene to like completely white daytime, um, just this girl very slowly stepping out of her house and, and walking to the train. Yeah, a girl who may have eyesight troubles, right? Is that are we on lane? Sorry, or are we yeah, still? Yeah, why, why why are you saying she may have eyesight troubles? She keeps squinting at the <laughs> the chalkboard in in the distance. Like I think in this scene when she's just coming up to the school, she sees like people become blurs or splotches in her vision. So like yeah. I think something might be going on there. Maybe she needs glasses. Yeah. Well, and, and also it seems like she's maybe hearing stuff. So we sort of like hear this sort of weird cacophony of like whispering voices and laughing voices that are kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. And then when she's on the train at one point, you know, she's like, God, this is so annoying and like tells them to shut up. And all of a sudden, the people on the train are like, huh? Why, why did this girl just yeah. like yell that on a quiet train? Yeah. So there's also this really prominent 60 cycle hum coming from everything electrical. Oh, what is it? Can you explain that? What does that mean, 60 cycle hum? Well, again, this is like, I don't know what era it was from, but this idea that electrical interference could uh, have psychological effects, you know, and then if you do know like your MK Ultra lore, different experiments that were done using different radio frequencies and stuff like that to alter mood and like suggestion and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 60 cycle hertz is a thing with alternating current. That's the speed that the current alternates. So around any electrical wiring, there are these just electromagnetic fields that are generated. And that's why like a lot of audio cords and stuff has to be shielded is to like stop that interference. So I think that oh. sound you're talking about, Blixa, right? That would be sort of like the sound you would hear from that mm-hmm. interference if it was like getting picked up on a, a microphone or a speaker cable or something, right? Yeah. So it is like the background radiation of an electrical society. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, there are theories that like this kind of stuff, and then when you start adding cell phone towers everywhere, that it starts to affect like the biome like uh maybe that's why the bees are dying out and migratory patterns of birds are getting altered alex is skeptical no i'm i'm 100 <laughs> a believer this is all happening right now i am skeptical I'll be that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> and and we see a lot of shots of, of power cables and and stuff like that too but but you know that that's sort of like that health side of it or the fact that maybe yeah maybe it's affecting people's psychology or something i hadn't thought about that 
you know, this is a, a show, I guess they call it The Wired in this show, but it's sort of about like the internet and interconnectivity. So I was kind of thinking about it more as like an image or a sound that sort of is symbolizing that stuff, like these wires that are like connecting us all now. But I think you're onto something, Blixa, with that other stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> MK Ultra. I want to hear more about that over the course of the show. <laughs> oh, we, we can get kooky. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in the show. Okay, so well, she makes it from the train to school. Um, and you're sort of describing the scene earlier, Alex, where um, as she's walking in, kind of stuff gets blurry and mm-hmm. people kind of turn into these sketch drawings almost or something like that. And and I was just noticing, I guess it's an all-girls school. Mm-hmm. So so she gets she gets into school and immediately there's this girl crying in a sort of like horror movie kind of like it's like a pretty like brutal <laughs> crying sound that kind of plays mm-hmm. throughout the whole scene. And uh, this girl uh, that we'll learn is named Alice comes up and you know asks Lane if she got this email. Um, and Lane finds out that um, the girl that we saw in the first scene, Chisa Yamada has supposedly been emailing people even though you know she had just committed suicide days earlier mm. you know so alice thinks it's some sort of a weird prank but uh no one really knows what's going on that is the natural assumption right like someone is playing a bad joke and taking advantage of the fact that this girl kills herself in order to traumatize or bother people online um, I don't remember the technology <clears throat> from this era, but like, would you have been able to have a delayed message get sent out with email? I remember not being able to do that before like 2016 or something. Or that's when I learned how to do that. It was with like Boomerang. I don't know if there were earlier mail apps or things that let you do that. Oh, I didn't even know that was an actual thing. I, I assume that you can. You just have to write your own program that does it for you, that interfaces with your email application. When is this set? Present day, so 1998. 98. And like, not knowing anything about this, I assume that one of the themes of the show will be anxieties about growing levels of technology. So like, what happens when a consciousness can be simulated online? And right now in our society, people are playing around with like AIs that generate art. You know, they're not quite past the uncanny valley yet, but they are pretty close to simulating something that, you know, passing that Turing test. Yeah. So she's in this class, right? And she starts hallucinating on the chalkboard. Her vision goes blurry again. But also, I've loved the sound design in the scene. The the chalk, like usually I find chalk to be a very uh, uh, annoying sound. I don't know. Anything with a chalkboard seems to get me. Um, it feels so dry. But uh, in this how whoever was doing the chalk sound, you know, the sound engineer, I'm sure, like it was this wonderful irregular rhythm. Like, cause it had these staccato bam, bams as like a new letter went onto the pay, or the uh, board, but you couldn't put a, a normal timing pattern to it. So it was cool cause it's kind of unnerving and it was, it was generating this wonderful backdrop to the scene. Yeah, with this sort of like increasing echo and reverb kind of until it, sort of just like this noisy mess um and then smoke starts coming out of her fingers <laughs> i was waiting for this <laughs> like incense and i thought like oh is she like going into some higher plane of consciousness and that's why there's incense which usually accompanies meditation yeah it does feel sort of like religious or something right yeah yeah definitely okay so she's seeing that but no one else is so 
likely not an eyesight. I know there's probably not a vision problem. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> well, and then, yeah. And so then we, we kind of hard cut and we haven't talked about this yet. So maybe we should. So this scene ends then with cutting to there's sort of this psychedelic swirling background yeah. with kind of text in it. And and so for this scene, we get one set of text that I think says, what is it like when you die? And then kind of like a response that's like, it really hurts. Yeah. And, you know, so I think this is our first sign. So we had some of those in the beginning scene too, you know, so there was like a text that said, you know, why you should do that is something you should figure out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that's like, it's, it's okay if tomorrow I'm not around in a, in a place like this, which was sort of like up against, you know, this sort of skeevy businessman, young girl, and sort of like these images of sort of, I don't know, like vice and immorality and stuff like that. Mm. But, you know, I'm still, I'm still not exactly sure who's supposed to be writing these texts. The question about suicide makes me wonder if this is supposed to be like a back and forth between this Chisita Yamada, you know, sending mm-hmm. someone an email and them like, you know, asking her that question. What is it like to commit suicide? It really hurts. You know, I don't know if that's supposed to be Lane sending those or, the, you know, these are the other emails. Oh, people who had responded and asked Chisa Yamada if it is this person, like asking her questions. Okay. But that um, the first ones we get, are they before she, I think the first ones you get are even before she jumps yeah. off the roof. And so maybe like, this conversation predates her killing herself. Like maybe she found someone online that she asked questions to. <laughs> and I noticed, so they do, I think in both of her classes in this, the writing on the chalkboard is English. And then also there are strange parts like that present time, present day that are uh, recorded in English, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's intentional to give it a familiar but otherworldly effect, you know, for a Japanese audience. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting to think about how that would look, you know, to have those be these sort of more foreign characters. Yeah. Um, I think the f- the first time she's in class, I'm pretty sure it's like a programming class. Yeah, which is very foreign. And then the second time, I think it's like an English lesson. Um, so that, you know, there are some Japanese words on the board, too, but it's like trying to explain grammar or something like that. Yeah, it was interesting because it was diagramming a sentence kind of. Mm. And I thought about it like it's not a one to one comparison, but maybe there's a cool comparison there. You know how language is essentially a program that we're all hmm. running to try to communicate with each other. And that that English lesson is not so different from the programming lesson that precedes it. I like that. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Okay, so she uh, she comes back home and her house is empty at first. So she just goes to her computer because, oh yeah, Alice had told her like, hey, to be a responsible person, you need to check your email once a day, which I tend to agree with in the modern era. You don't have to check it more than that, but I think once a day emails is pretty safe. I'm irresponsible. <gasps> you don't check your email daily? No, I don't delete them. <laughs> Check my work email on weekdays. Um, so if we need to get in touch with you, not the best <laughs> choice to email. Yeah, text me. No, text me that shit. Um, so she does get online and she, and I love, oh my gosh, do you miss this? I miss this all the time in modern. Because now like user interfaces, especially iPhones and Macs and things and some PC interfaces, they're so ubiquitous that when they're displayed in a, a movie or show, it's just what it actually is, right? Like the icons and how everything is laid out. 
but we used to have all these imaginative operating systems <laughs> and like it starts talking to her and it wants a voice recognition and i i just love all, all the unnecessary animations it's playing just to get her to her email it's fabulous it's a pretty cool looking computer yeah looks like something that would be in like a mech cockpit yeah <laughs> i think this is sort of like inspired by um kind of like early mac computers and I'm trying to think of yeah. where this would be you know, maybe sort of like those big green iMac eras, I think would have been around 1990. Yeah, pretty similar. Um, I think LCDs and flat screens caught on in Japan faster than they caught on in America. So they may have been like, that was the cutting edge thing was to have it because she notably has this sleek iPhone or I, iMac kind of looking computer, but her dad is using a bunch of, you know, PCs nominally, like yeah, big CRTs. Yeah. And and I guess I mean she already has like a you know a cell phone that she's sending like text messages and stuff. Mm-hmm. She can't get email on her cell phone, but this is sort of like the uh, text call era of cell phones. Yeah, was it a cell phone? I thought it was more like what did you call it? Not Blackberries. What was before Blackberries? It was sort of like a PDA or something. Yeah, yeah. personal digital assistant. God. Palm Pilots, right? Yeah, Palm Pilot. Yes, yeah. that was the most popular PDA in America, I think. My dad had a Palm Pilot. <laughs> you could write and it would guess the letters you were writing. It was pretty bad. That's right. That's right. Wow. That's a blast from the past. Yeah. Well, so we're, I think we're at, you know, she got back, she logged in and um, kind of immediately, you know, it announces she got this email from Yamada Chisa. You know, the first thing is sort of like, how you doing, Lane? <laughs> Are you well? And I'm pretty sure that's like where you get the ad cliffhanger of the episode. It's just sort yeah. of like, oh shit, she did get the email. Yeah. I almost went like, oh, that's the end of the episode. <laughs> it's a pretty extensive email as opposed or as far as the the little clips of things we've gotten so far. Um, it's pretty personable. Are you well, Lane? I have only given up my body by sending this email to you. Okay, I can prove I still exist. And then it even says kind of maybe making her email up to the minute or something. It says, everyone says it's a prank, but that's not true. And then finally the ominous God is here. Yeah. We get kind of like then that other cliffhanger there. Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And you know, like as this email is coming, like Lane is kind of like reading it and like responding almost as if it's like a real time conversation, but I can't tell if it's supposed to be a real time conversation or you know, if Lane doesn't really get what's going on because she's not a computer person or, or kind of like exactly what's happening there. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I won't know until a couple of more episodes in, but like I take it that Lane is not super popular, does not necessarily have any close friends, like is not quite Ray Ayanami, but doesn't seem super social. So I wonder if she interacts with a lot of things this way because she doesn't get a lot of, like her family doesn't fucking talk to her. Yeah, I mean, so so that other, you know, that Alice girl came up to her and was sort of like asking her questions. And that other girl mm-hmm. came up and was sort of like, what, you don't check your email every day? You're such a baby. <laughs> and then, you know, when she goes back home, she does have like all of her stuffed animals lined up on the window. And mm-hmm. it does seem like maybe she's supposed to be a little bit like, I don't know, like kind of off in her own world and not really, yeah, not really sort of like on pace and developing like her friends or like. Yeah, uh, socially stunted in some way, maybe. Yeah, so she's kind of like coded as like the shaman outside of the norm of her people. Oh, yeah. One foot in two worlds, definitely. 
Uh, and she even has an asymmetrical haircut, which is very striking, mm-hmm. right? She looks like a fucking Star Wars Padawan. <laughs> but a very interesting choice to uh, for a character who I'm sure we're going to look into a lot of symbolism for, yeah. uh, to have a haircut that clearly looks like mm-hmm. two different haircuts. Yeah. I not thought about that, yeah. So the family is dysfunctional, though. Like, the older sister, she just gets up and leaves in the middle of dinner. Lane drops to her mom about getting an email from a dead girl from a classmate that killed herself and the mom has no reaction nope she just kind of keeps eating yeah dad's not there Mm -hmm. tv's on yeah that was so striking i was like oh this is a single parent household when they're having dinner and then the next scene you see the dad with the computers i was like what the hell he's not gonna join (laughs) them for dinner come on man and that's this sort of like interesting conversation where it's like sort of like You keep thinking that he's not listening to her because he Mm. seems like he's paying attention to this other stuff. And I kept thinking that he was going to sort of like ignore something she said. But then like sort of actually like the words coming out of his mouth, he does actually sort of like respond to the stuff that she's saying. But then like at the same time, he's like multitasking and like laughing Mm. at some joke online as her like, Mm -hmm. you know, like not really Mm -hmm. like emotionally present for the conversation. Yeah. An interesting idea of like, how will we act socially when we have all of these things coming at us? Because like we saw very quickly, there's like several flash images of like not a naked woman, but like it was like very provocatively dressed, very uh, made up female form, but headless. And then like several other strange images. So like how will we be socially with people face to face now that we have access to all of this culture through an electronic meet? And, and there are these great shots in it where there's, you know, as he turns his computers on with all his monitors, you see the like the reflections of the monitors coming on <laughs> in his glasses. And then there's like this other shot sort of from Lane's POV where, you know, she can just sort of barely see his like arm through like the space in the computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I love that. Uh, yeah. A brilliantly choreographed scene. Um, with like no one moving, just those shot framings. Like there's a lot of meaning in just like the shot composition. Uh, Like early on when she's walking, there's, or maybe it's later in the episode, but anyways, one of the times when she's walking, it's just a silent frame of her walking a little bit, but she's uh, has uh, big power lines on either side of her. Like she's trapped in a world of electricity. Yeah. So the style of these scenes, there's a lot of empty space and a lot of silence And then a lot of inactivity, like before the father gets home, Lane is just in her room, just lying, staring at the ceiling. Mm. And then like the shadows shift as the father gets home. And like, that's her signal, like go in and talk to him. But like, what does all that tell us? Yeah. And he's like, oh, you like never come in this room, you know? And it seems like he's always in that room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that room like is an interest in technology, right? Mm -hmm. She's never been interested in computers before. So her entering the room means something more than just her physical space. Okay. So let me ask you this question. Like, and I don't know the answer. She just got the email from the dead girl. And then that's when we see her just laying on her bed, staring up at the ceiling. And she just contemplating like, holy shit, I just got this email from this girl. And it was personalized too, right? Yeah. And and she did just ask her mom about that, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely, it's like she's struggling to process this thing. So okay. actually, I think that, yeah, actually, now that you mentioned that, that's probably true, right? She's like lying in bed mm-hmm. thinking about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this isn't normal behavior for her, presumably. That could mm-hmm. be. Yeah, that's a pretty shocking thing. You don't get an email from okay. a deceased classmate every day. Now, is that strictly what it is? Or I keep wondering if the email is the trigger for something 
to begin happening or maybe something has already begun happen happening in this girl uh well she definitely she hallucinates before she gets the email mm-hmm. or at least she hallucinates before she reads the email mm-hmm. the email may have been received in her account before that but mm-hmm. but she had not been hearing voices prior to this right well she hears them on the train before the email but i guess the kids at school know that this girl committed suicide right mm-hmm. so we yes. start this story after that trauma i guess okay so does this lead us to the train yes Okay. Yeah. So the train hits something, the train stops, and sort of like someone's immediate reaction is kind of like, was it a person, I wonder? Mm-hmm. Basically had someone jumped in front of the train, you know, so we have sort of our second suicide in episode one. Mm-hmm. And and then we get this image, you know, we've been seeing the wires a lot, but then we get this shot of Lane staring out the window, and now we see these electrical wires like dripping, and it, you know, it almost looks like they're they're dripping blood. So maybe this is just like, oh, this is another trauma that's like making her hallucinate or, or, you know, maybe this is trying to say something like, you know, is the internet responsible for this stuff or the technology responsible for this stuff? This poor girl. Yeah. So she gets an email from a dead girl and now something, uh, a train she's on hits someone. Mm -hmm. Is it a person? I kind of missed that. Yeah. Yeah. So we just have someone sort of suggest, oh, maybe it was a person. Okay. So Lane also disassociates. There's like a moment where she's on the train and then the train fades and then she's in the stairwell of the station. She keeps teleporting to these different locations yeah. where she's standing still. And, and that's where we have that sort of like Evangelion trippy kind of music that sounds sort of religious or shamanic or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. So sh- everything's moving around her. Like she keeps teleporting. She's getting to these other places, but we don't see her move. Everything is moving around her. Interesting. So I wonder if she feels passive in her own life. I'm kind of wondering now if it's sort of like, like the other people in her world are just moving on from these suicides, right? Like this girl committed suicide at the school and like everyone else is just like, ah, keep going to school, life is normal. Like this person got hit by a train and people are just sort of more like, oh, am I going to be late to work? Yeah. But it's like she can't like move on from this stuff. She's stuck in it. I agree. But it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because I feel like they're, they're showing us that she's disassociating. Like everyone else... They're able to disassociate from trauma and keep going about their day and functioning, which she can't do. But she's disassociating from the present moment. Hmm. And that's like sort of like the hallucinations and stuff that we're seeing is like that's her sort of like dissociative experience in these places. Yeah. And I mean, that's that is the heart of the mystery we have now. Right. Is unraveling like, is she having some sort of mental crisis or is something happening? A lot of psychological thrillers at least start that way. Some of them, you know, don't give you any answers until the very end. But that's, you know, the kind of friction that makes it so interesting and makes you want to keep watching and like, you know, I'm not going to cheat, but like, I am very interested in what <laughs> happens in the next episode. And, and so I guess this sort of set, you know, we see her kind of jumping, standing between these different places till finally she's standing in front of this train tracks, basically. She sees this kind of girl standing there, a train is coming, and then that girl walks out in front of the train. And, you know, Lane is trying to sort of like yell out, get her to move or something like that. And we see her face Mm -hmm. and it sort of glitches between at least two, I think maybe sort of three different expressions, sort of like Mm. one of fear, one of sort of like a creepy smile and like one that's sort of like 
calm and expressionless, mm-hmm. you know, and, and right after this, Lane comes to sort of like sweating and hallucinating in class. But I sort of wondered, you know, is this her now like imagining this thing that just happened on the train and kind of like wondering, you know, like, why do people do this? Like, why do people commit suicide? And sort of like, mm-hmm. is it something that makes them happy? Is it, <laughs> is it something that like in that last moment, they're full of like fear and regret or like, what is this thing? And maybe this is kind of like her first exposure to it as a, a concept. I, I, I don't know when I became aware of that, like sort of what age kids get exposed to that and or, and, or can kind of like start thinking about that kind of stuff. Well, you know, unfortunately, suicidal ideation can happen in pretty young people. But yeah, I don't I don't know what the average age is or like what a, you know, a healthy age is to learn about things like suicide. Uh, does that bring us to the end scene? Yeah, she the hallucination ends with her kind of coming to in class, right? Mm-hmm. And then she also hallucinates in class again. That's the English class. Yeah, I forget. She's taking a test or doing some, yeah, maybe it's just English class, but she comes to like literally, like we we hear the sound. It's almost a little bit like the chalk clicks, but it's like the sweat dripping from her um, onto her paper. Mm-hmm. And the teacher is basically just like, Lane, like you need to pay attention and work. And it's like this, this yeah. other time when like, you know, this adult should realize that something is like clearly going on with this girl, but yeah. mm-hmm. just does not want to engage with it or does not notice it. Yeah. This seems typical of the time again. You know, this is from a Japanese culture and like we all grew up in a, an American context, but, you know, the 90s and the early 2000s, I didn't expect teachers to be trauma informed. And I feel like these days, teachers are much more trauma-informed. So the hallucination she has in the English class scene, it culminates in a message that looks like the font of her email. And it says, come to the Wired as soon as you can. And what the fuck is the Wired? So the Wired is what they call like the internet. So it's like, oh. come back to your computer to check the email. And and we see that on the screen. Like she sees it on the board and then I think we get a flash of it on the screen, like as if this was like part of that earlier message that we didn't see before. Or it's like, you know, maybe a new email, a new email, but that she's not yeah reading, but she's like experiencing. Yeah, something. Yeah, uh, it's wild. But she uses that kind of uh, message. I don't know if she absconds from class, but like the our last scene is her back on the street walking and she sees an apparition she sees a glitchy and uh but full-bodied chisa yamato uh yamoda yamoda the uh the girl who died yeah this is another one of those like scenes where i just i love the way they did it so sort of like she's walking she's on the street there's someone coming then we sort of see this close-up shot of them passing but with all those splatters in the background mm-hmm. then we go back out to like they're back on the street and it's sort of realistic but then all of a sudden Chisa Yamada kind of blinks out of existence and then you're like oh she was just hallucinating and then she turns around and then Chisa Yamada is indeed there like it's sort of like <laughs> that like horror movie they keep on playing with your expectations and it doesn't do quite what you think and you know likewise then right at the end Chisa Yamada sort of like fades away, but instead of just doing a normal fade away, it's like, you know, she turns into a spiral. Yeah. Like, yeah, this like, it's like she's unraveling, dissolving. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like what a weird choice. 
And it's so good, right? Like her fading out, that animation looks so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just like unexpected. You're just like, what? And then it's just like, to be continued. <laughs> yep. Do we your whistle? Are you confused enough yet to follow another episode? It's wild. Yeah, so so what, what would you, if you had to bet money on what was going on right now, where do you think this is going? Um, I I would bet money that the internet is becoming an afterlife in this show. Like I, I would bet that Chisa Yamada is existing somehow, conscious somehow, past, you know, in, a, in an afterlife, a technological afterlife. And that, I don't know, Lane is maybe the person most able to uh, experience her or see her. Like, like you said, uh, uh, Blix, I'm, I'm fascinated, always fascinated by that shaman archetype that people fall into. Um, and so if her hair and some of her affect is coding her as a shaman, well, then she might be the person most likely to uh, connect with Chisa Yamada um, because she has her her foot in two worlds. And we don't know what those worlds are yet, whether it's her own mind in the real world. But it seems like, you know, I, I bet she will get a better computer. I bet her dad mm-hmm. will get a new computer for her. And that may be the, uh, you know, one of the gateways into this other mm-hmm. world. So I have not seen the end of the show, but I predict that it will end in a cosmic battle between an ancient subterranean race and aliens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think it's going to so? get darling in the prank. I think, I think we're already yeah. seeing the groundwork. <laughs> we're we're seeing space yes, in the uh-huh. background; these speckled shadows, right? Yeah, mm. sure. And red and blue, right, are the same colors. Uh, even in this to be continued, B is colored uh, blue and red. Mm. Awesome. So Iwak- Iwakura means like the dwelling place of God. Uh, and it's like, we're not talking okay. about like the Christian God in this context. And that, that's uh, Lane's last name, right? Iwakura. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So in this context, it, it also does not mean heaven, especially like as the way Westerners would think of it. Uh, I think like literally it means like the rock of God. And like, if you think about folk beliefs in Japan, like the gods inhabit tangible things, you know, the river or whatever. Anyway, I do feel like that's uh, speaking again to uh, codifying our main character. Mm. And, you know, like shaman, we, we usually immediately think of like spiritual or metaphysical. And it is, but it also isn't necessarily. Uh, it refers to like the one who can see what is unseen. And that could have a social ap- application too. Mm. I think our main character like sees what other people don't see. Yeah, that that's for sure. So I only have two more thoughts. Uh, one is... All of these shot compositions where the the landscape is dotted with power lines or her father, you know, his image imprisoned behind all of these computer screens, it, it, it's very effective. And and the uh, the last shot is absolutely crowded <laughs> with power lines. And there's this huge transformer that takes up almost half yeah. of the frame. And it's only the only relief we get from this kind of oppressive electrical landscape is the space imagery that we get in the the blue speckled shadow. And I don't know whether that's like, you know, looking out into the stars or whether that's cyberspace, mm-hmm. you know, like the world that's behind the electricity. Yeah. I think like the electrical hums that we're seeing. When I saw this episode, I thought the writers were suggesting, oh, there's something devious here. Like the technological environment is being weaponized against the population. I mean, and then if you want to get really spooky with all this stuff, you know, like there's some, I don't know what you'd call it exactly, spiritualists or something that feel like what we might think of as ghosts or spirits or entity are like electromagnetic phenomenon. Um, like I think at the mm. beginning of this talk, we were talking about electrical inf- interference, like the 60 cycle hum. So like fun facts, uh, anytime like electrons pass down a conductor, 
uh, there's an electromagnetic field around it. And that's what creates the interference. Like mm -hmm. if you have wires that cross over each other, every time there's an overlap, you lose like eight ohms. Uh, so that's why you want to keep all that stuff straight and in conduits. But um, humans are also bioelectric, like our electrical, chemical electrical signals going through our bodies. It also creates an electromagnetic field on all of our biological mm -hmm. conductors, which you can actually see with special types of imaging, uh, which those images look differently depending on what's going on with you physiologically. So, you know, I, th I think that plays into this idea about supernatural phenomenon that's like somehow part of like the electromagnetic environment. Yeah, how very strange. So Lane is hallucinating. Do we think that someone has slipped her a hallucinogen like acid? That's interesting. Unbeknownst to her, maybe her older sister is into some drug use and, you know, Lane is getting into her sister's stash. Is this series... Paranormal or sci-fi or both? Yeah, I I don't like the hard differentiation between either. Because okay. like Darling and the Franks, mm -hmm. it's sci-fi, but there's a whole bunch of like mystical shit that happens in mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. Zero Two, it looks like an Oni, a demon. Yeah. Well, and it, I, I think at this point in the story, we don't know. I think they are kind of doing that sort of horror trope of like, they, they're leaving a bunch of options open right now and kind of like, we don't know what's going on yet. Yeah, so I don't know this either, but like when you brought up a chemical hallucinogen, my first thought went to like, what if in this show that there's like a digital hallucinogen that's being delivered ah, and maybe these... Either a hum or yeah. a, a information that you're getting subconsciously through a computer yeah, screen. through an email. Hmm. Oh, a whole new way of having a computer virus, right? Mm -hmm. A computer virus that transfers itself to you uh, optically. Sort of snow crash. Yeah, mm. wow. My last thing is the opening music. Awesome, right? We, we I'm, I'm sure I'm just gonna rip that off and make it our opening and probably our outro. But um, it, it's uh, this great song that I have never watched the show before, but I knew the lyrics to the song. And I don't know whether it actually got popular on any charts or I heard it on the radio, or if I only heard it because Ben had watched this or, or, or my brother had watched this or something. Um, but I still adore that song. Uh, and lastly, the outro uh, is Lane, our titular character, but she's naked, sleeping, kind of in this almost womb mm. of electrical cables. It, it's reminiscent of Akira. It's reminiscent of um, some of the scenes in Evangelion. Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, that's where my mind goes. Ghost, yeah, Ghost in the Shell, yeah. absolutely. And it, it it is a very evocative outro to go out on, especially for a first episode. Uh, I assume they'll all be yeah. the same, but it, it was a great choice here, at least. Uh, okay, so I now I'm forgetting how we did it. I feel like... Blixa starts yeah. it, and then Ben, and then yeah. me. I think so. And then we do the, the sign. Okay. Okay. Pen. Pen. Pals. Present day. Present time. time. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked it up. <laughs>